Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we're recording. And so uh, the first thing to announce is there is no Shear next week, nor the week after. Next week is Yom Yerushalayim, and there are big things arranged. The week after is Shavuot, and although it's a lovely way to to celebrate, I know, and I've got to prepare lots of different Torah. And although it's nice to celebrate Shavuot by learning Torah, I think we'll all be otherwise engaged. So we're not meeting for the next two weeks. So for those who listen on the podcast every week, and there are some, you will notice that there won't be a share for the next two weeks. For those who discover the podcast weeks, months, years hence, you won't notice that there was a gap in <laughs> chronology because you'll just go from one share to the next and good for you. But as it happens, you might remember in 5781 that there were two weeks without a shift. Okay, so we are talking still about Yaakov and Esau, and we are in Perek Cafe, and we're about to get to Pasuk Lamed. And what's happened so far is Yaakov and Esau have been born, and they have gone in different directions in terms of their character. And in Pasuk Kaftet last week, we read, Bayazet Yaakov Nazit, Yaakov, as Rashi explains, cooked something that's cooking. Um, and Esau came from the field and he was tired. Now, let's go to Pasuk Lamad. So first thing Rashi has to tell us is what Halitaini means. And I, I always preface these comments by saying I, I'm a bit nervous to say this is a fairly simple Rashi but I think it could be understood as a fairly simple Rashi explaining what this obscure term means. And Rashi says, I will open my mouth and pour lots of stuff into it. So it's a very sort of gross, um, very uh, gluttonous way of saying, please feed me some soup um, by pouring it into my mouth. Uh, you could translate it as swallow or make me swallow it, which is probably the actual Sharesh. But Rashi says it means literally pour it into my mouth. And Rashi says we see this word used in that sense in the Mishnah, where it says, Kamosha Shanino, as we've learned in the Mishnah, Ein ovsin et hagamal, aval malitin oto. So there are things that you can't do on Shabbat. And you can't force feed a gamal, a camel, by literally stuffing food down its throat. Uh, it's quite an unpleasant thing to think about, but even today, certain animals are force-fed to make their meat nicer. Um, it raises the question how that can be kosher because there's a lot of sabalichaim going on. But anyway, but that's what ovsin means. Ovsin is to force-feed an animal by by if eat it by forcing more food down its throat than it actually can take. Aval says the Mishnah malitin oto, but you can malitin it. So Rashi says what we see there in the Mishnah, which means you can pour liquid down the throat, that is what you can do on Shabbat. The reason you can't do avus, which I'm translating as force feeding, is because it's more tircha. It requires extra labor. But um, causing the animal just to drink something is not so laborious, and therefore it is allowed on Shabbat. It's interesting that the Onkelos gives a different translation. Um, his translation of Halitaini, if you look carefully, is atemni, atemni, which is from the word tam, like give me a taste of. 
which has a very different connotation to the way Rashi explains it. Uh, there's probably a basis uh, that there is a basis to Uncle's translation. There's a basis to Rashi's translation, which is interesting that the Uncle's translation is, is <coughs> almost diametrically opposed. It's give me a taste of this rather than Rashi's version, which is Aesop, whom Rashi paints in a very negative way, demanding to be fed in such a gross manner. Okay, continues the Pasuk, because we haven't got very far. So please pour some soup down my throat from this red, red stuff. Because I am tired. Therefore, he called his name, i.e. they called his name, Edom. And as we know from later history, Edom is another name for Esau. And apparently, well, the Torah is telling us this is the source of the word Edom, which is related to Adom, which means red, being applied to Esau because of the Adom Ha'adom that he was very desirous of. Now, what is this Adom Ha'adom, this red, red stuff? Says Rashi, Adashim Adumim. It is red lentils. So um, the Pasuk up till this point has not said exactly what was on the menu. However, in Pasuk Lamad Dalad, Yaakov Natan Esav Lechem Unazid Adashim. So we do see from the Pasuk itself that Adashim, lentils, was what was served. So Rashi says, and this is no great uh, um, brilliance to work out, that the, what was actually served explicitly in Lamad Dalad is what's mentioned here in Lamad. So Rashi knows that Ha'adam Ha'adam is the red lentils. Now, why was there lentils? And why was Yaakov doing the cooking? And Rashi's going to answer both questions. After all, Yaakov is 15 years. Okay, so he should be sharing in the chores. But why particularly is Yaakov doing the cooking and not anybody else? So Rashi says, the Oto Hayom mate Avraham. And on that day, Avraham died. Now, we've talked about this before because Rashi's made this same point earlier. And he's to some extent repeating himself, but in the context of explaining exactly what's going on on this particular day. Rashi said back in the Brit Ben of Atarim, that when Hashem said to Abraham, you will be gathered to your people, i.e. you will die, the saver tova in a good old age, Rashi said there in Perak Tetvav that you will not see Esau rebel. Um, and you work out, that, and, and Rashi said there, that's why Abraham died at age 175, which is when Esau was 15, so he didn't see Aesop go bad, which implies that Aesop did at the age of 15. So Rashi says the same thing here, but here it's in the context of explaining why they were eating lentils. Because for Oto Hayom mate Abraham, that was the day that Abraham died. So Yitzchak was now an Ovel. So Yaakov was doing the cooking, providing food for Yitzchak. In fact, I'll say this now, because it's going about to come up. We would say, well, I mean, a little bit anachronistically, but Yaakov was cooking the Sudat Havarah, which is the suda, which is given to, uh, Havara is another word for feeding, but it's given to mourners immediately after the Levaya, after the funeral. It's the beginning of the transition from the funeral to the Shiva. Anyway, says Rashi, why did Abraham die that day? Shalom yireh et Esav ben Bano, so that Abraham should not see Esav, his grandson, Yodzei letarbut ra'ah, going out to a bad way of life, a bad culture, literally. And had Abraham lived longer and seen Esau go bad, that would not have been the good old age which Hashem promised him, as we saw back there in Perak Tepah. 
Now, uh, we've talked about this before, but I'll mention it again. Um, Rashi there in the Brit Memorandum says that Abraham wouldn't see Esau Merd rebel. Here he says he wouldn't see him go to a Tarbut Ra'ah. But there's a slight problem, it's easy to answer, that we were told by Rashi in Pasuk Kaf Zion on the words Vayigdalu Hanarim, um, that when the boys reached 13, their distinct characters became obvious. And Esav was an Ishidayat Sayyid, which Rashi says is bad. And Esav, Rashi said Esav was going into or directing towards places of Odazara from the age of 13. How, so, how, so isn't Abraham uh, suffering and not having a ripe old age for those two years between the ages of 13 and 15 when Abraham was between 173 and 175? So the answer to that is obvious that Rashi has gone to pains to say that Esau was deceptive and he covered his evil in a veneer of goodness. So his father didn't see, and presumably Abraham didn't see Esau go to a bad way, even though he was, albeit in a hidden way, already pretty bad. Um, but we can also say, we can also understand what Rashi said in... Uh, Tet, that's right. So, um, where, why was Yaak, why was Esau tired, according to Rashi? And the answer is but on the words in Kaftet, with murder, which he'd been doing that very day. He came in from the field tired. Rashi said he was tired because he was going around killing people. Now, the Midrash says actually he committed five pretty heinous transgressions on that day, of which murder is one, raping someone is another, and stealing something, which Perhaps it's not quite so bad, but there were five pretty bad sins. It's interesting, Rashi doesn't quote that. Rashi doesn't need to quote that, but he does need to explain why he was tired. And his answer to that is that Tzicha. So we see on this very day, Esau's behavior became manifest. Esau ceased to be uh, pretending to be good. He threw the mask off and he now goes around killing people. So Rashi, if you look carefully, equates the day that Esau was starting to kill people with the day that Avraham died. And that fits perfectly with the story that uh, Rashi is bringing, that Avraham had to die because that was the moment that Esau's um, rebellion became apparent. You might ask, by the way, if, uh, Abra, if Hashem can control the time of Avraham's death, miraculously, why couldn't he let Avraham live till 180, which was the standard length of the life of the patriarchs, and just keep Esau good for another five years? And the answer to that is because Hashem doesn't do that because Esau, like everyone else, has free will. So Hashem is not going to intervene in somebody's behavior, but he can intervene in somebody's lifespan. Okay, so let's get back to the Rashi on Lamut. So we're up to the words Laficha, therefore, Kitzer HaKadosh Baruch Hu Chamesh Shanim Mishnatav. Hashem cut five years from Abraham's life. How do we know he cut five years from Abraham's life? Yitzchak lived for 180 years. And this one, i.e. Abraham, for only 175. And there seems to be a presumption that when you're a sort of person like Abraham or Yitzchak, you deserve to live the same length of life. And if you don't live the same length of life, there must be a reason for it. Abraham deserved to live as long as Yitzchak did. So Rashi explains why, in fact, he didn't. So now we say, and this really, I think, is what Rashi's been leading up to, Ubishel Yaakov Adashim 
להברות את האבל. And Yaakov was cooking lentils to feed, as in Sudat Havara, to feed, as in straight after the funeral, to the mourner, i.e. Yitzchak. But we still haven't got the full picture. So we know that there's a special meal because Abraham has died. And that meal was lentils. And really, we're answering the question, what was the Adam HaAdam? Answer it was lentils. But we still don't know why lentils. What has lentils got to do with what's going on here? So Rashi says, Because lentils being round are like a wheel. Because Avelut is a wheel that goes round in the world. Um, I would say not quite everyone, because it doesn't always work out like that. But most people go through Avelut once or twice in their life. And that is the way it should be. Um, it, it, it sounds an awful thing to say, but it's actually a bracha if children sit shiver for their parents, because the alternative is far, far worse. And it is a natural part of life. That, and, and it's actually, as I've just explained, actually something that's hard to imagine, but we really hope for as opposed to the alternative, that everyone sits shiver at some stage. So Avelut is something that goes round and round. It's also the case that it goes round the generations. So the grandfather sits shiver, and then the grandchildren, uh, sorry, then the parents sit shiver, and the grandchildren sit shiver. And, and as I say, that's how it should be. And that's, I think, what is mentioned, meant by Baha Avelot, Galgal Ha Ba'ola. Now we have another answer to, from Rashi about why Adashim, lentils, are served to a mourner. This is, in most books, in brackets, and it's accredited to Rashi Yashan, an old version of Rashi. Um, so part of my, my style here is not to read it at all because it's sort of not part of the standard canon of Rashi. I think we'll read it, but it's actually helpful to say it's probably not part of Rashi because I don't understand how it could be or why it should be. In other words, Rashi is now going to give another reason about why Adashim are appropriate to serve to a mourner, but he's already given one reason, so it's hard to say he needs another reason. But what he says in this brackets, which is probably not Rashi, is as follows. Ve'od, and furthermore, ma adoshim ein lahem peh, kach ha'avel ein ein lo peh. So lentils, because they're round, they've got no opening. At least that's what I understand. I don't quite know much about the structure of a lentil, to be honest. But I think because it's round, there's no sort of way in, so it's got no mouth. So similarly, an ovel has no mouth. What do we mean an ovel has no mouth? Sha'asul adaber, because an ovel is begin to speak. Um, we'll find out what that means in a moment. So therefore it's the custom to feed to an avel at the beginning of the food, first of all, eggs, which are round, and don't have a mouth. An avel also has no mouth. As we see in the Gemara there, avel. An Avel, for the first three days of the Shiva, does not greet, like does not uh, respond by saying hello to any person. If a person says hello to an Avel for the first three days, the Avel doesn't reply. And how much more so does an Avel not initiate the conversation by asking somebody else how they are? Mishalosha, but Ad Shiva, but after three days have passed, so from the third day to the seventh day, when the grieving is a little bit less intense, Meshiv, they can respond, 
but they still don't ask, they don't initiate the conversation, and that's in Rashi Yashan, in an old version of Rashi. So there are limitations on what an Avel can say during the Shiva, and so it can be categorized, at least in part, that an Avel doesn't have a mouth, just like Beitzim and Adashim, eggs and lentils and round things don't have mouths, so that's why they are fed to an Avel. But really what Rashi is answering is, first of all, what is Ha'adam Ha'adam? What is this red, red stuff? And secondly, why is it being served by Yaakov on that particular day? And Rashi, I think, has answered that. Yes. It's, well, I actually read originally, but I guess I was very, I was wrong with this. But like, not necessarily. As an avid, it is like min hadom, hadom hazer, like two different reds rather than this red, like very red stuff. Um, I mean, I, I was wrong, but it's an interesting that like there's a repaint of the word Edom. Well, uh, first of all, I think I think with all due respect to a Talmud, you are wrong. And I think you can see you're wrong because of the trop. The trop links, it's a mapach under Ha'adam and a pashta after Ha'adam. So they're two parts of the same phrase. It's also the case that Rashi doesn't talk about it. Um, and I'm pretty sure he reads it as very red. Yeah, but uh, no, no, I, yeah. I agree, but it's still... I, I think it's not so important because obviously it doesn't talk about it, but it is important. Like it's interesting but that it's. I think. Though, well, I think it is. Uh, I, I'm at this case. Okay. okay. Well, I have to yeah. say. Oh, well, well okay. Yeah. I'll come back to that in a moment. First of all, what I was about to say was um, I haven't checked the entire Tanakh because I'm not a Bokki in the entire Tanakh, but this idea of this repeated adjective for emphasis is there in classical Hebrew. So Adam Ha Adam is an appropriate way to say very red. Okay. Um, why does it have to be very red as opposed to red? Well, either the lentils are very red, but I think actually more likely this, remember the end of the passage, Al-Kain Karashmo Edom. So there's something very significant about the redness that gives him a name. And in fact, one can go on, gives the entire nation of Edom uh, throughout history a name based on this event. So it has to be not just red, it has to be like pretty red to, for him to be named after the redness. So that's how I see it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what about like um, Esav being Admoni? Well, funny thing. Yes, I was aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, although it, it did say that when Esav was born, Harishon Admoni in Pasuk Cafe, he came out all red. Uh, and um, this is one of the sources for the association of redheads with violence and bad stuff, which is something I'm not personally comfortable with. Because <laughs> a long time ago, I was a redhead. Um, but all I can say is, this Pasuk says something else. This Pasuk says he's called Edom because of the red lentils, which is, I'm going to leave this as a question for everyone, is strange, really. You'd have thought if he gets a nickname relating to red, it's more likely to be something about his complexion, which is with him all the time, than a one-off incident where he happened to eat some red soup. However, that's not what the Pasuk says. So we can only read, we can only see what's, what's written there. Okay, now we come to a very famous and perhaps misunderstood incident, the apparent sale of the birthright. So we have to bear in mind the following questions. What was the birthright? Um, what was the sale? What was the effect of the sale? So let's see what happens. Vayomer Yaakov, michra chayom et b'chorotcha li. Yaakov said, sell like day, your birthright to me. Now, I believe that in order to understand Rashi, we have to read further, at least the next two psukim, or the next pasuk. Pasuk Lamed Bet, Vayoma Esav. Esav said, 
or after being asked to sell the birthright, Behold, I am going to die. And what is this to me? So in order to explain what the birthright is, Rashi is going to have to make it fit into Lamad Aleph and to Lamad Bet. And I particularly want to, to focus on the enigmatic conversation or comment of Aesop. Why does Aesop say, I'm going to die? And why does he say, therefore, because I'm going to die, why do I want the birthright? So Rashi, and, and I suppose there's another question really overhanging all this. Why was Yaakov so keen to get this birthright? Now, there are those who say it was money. The firstborn, according to Halakha, after the Torah was given, gets a double portion in the father's wealth. So if there is N um, siblings, N sons, I'm afraid, you divide the wealth by N plus one, the firstborn gets two shares and everyone else gets one share. So in this case, you divided the wealth by three, um, the firstborn would get two shares and the younger would get one share. So some want to say, that's what uh, Yaakov was asking for. Rashi does not say that. I don't know why. Uh, well, maybe Rashi thinks his interpretation is better. It fits better. But also, I think the idea that Yaakov would be particularly keen in money seems to go contrary to our understanding of Yaakov Ishtam, the man of perfection, the man of innocence. Um, but what Rashi does say that the, the Bukhara is, is something that we can actually imagine that Yaakov is more interested in. But first of all, we have a, another phrase to explain, Mikra Chayom. Says Rashi on the words Mikra Chayom. Katargumo, read this like the Targum says, which Targum translates it, and you can see there in Lamad uh, Aleph, Kiyom uh, Dilhain, which means as clear as day, or like clear like the day. Kiyom Shahu Barur, like the day which is clear, Kach Machorali Machira Barura. Similarly, I want you to sell me a clear selling. So what he means is, according to Rashi, that the, the selling will be incontrovertible. It so happens there aren't witnesses around um, to give legal force to it. Therefore, I'm asking you to make sure it's actually clear, unalloyed, unarguable about sale. Why does Rashi translate Kayom like that? And I would suggest because if it means Kayom today, then we've seen this elsewhere, actually. When else is it going to take place? If Yaakov says to Esau, sell me your birthright, he doesn't intend that it'll happen next Tuesday, especially when Yaakov, Esau wants the suit right now. So it's pretty obvious that it's going to be today. And if it's pretty obvious it's going to be today, the Torah doesn't need to say Kayom, meaning today. So therefore, and the calf also perhaps is a, a strong point as well. The calf is a comparative, like the day. What does it mean, like the day? So Rashi, with the help of the Targum, says like the day in terms of clarity. Now, what is the Bechora? So this is the next comment of Rashi. Lafi shaha avoda bebechorot. Because the divine service, the service in the Mishkan was, or elsewhere, we'll see in a minute, was by the firstborns. Omar Yaakov, Yaakov said, Ain Russia This wicked person is not fitting that he should offer sacrifices to Hashem. So 
as we will see in Lamad Bet, which I think reinforces, and in fact, probably is, in my opinion, the, the, the basis for Rashi's understanding of the Bahara. But what he's saying here is the Bahara is the right to serve in the, to, to offer the Korban. Sorry, I said the Mishkan, perhaps I shouldn't have said that. Now, let's just understand for a bit. Is it the case that the Avoda is done by the firstborns? Not now. Not now. Not back then. Not back then. Yes, back then or not back then? Well, as in after Okay, after Cheta Egel, it wasn't done by the first one. So after Cheta Egel, and Hashem says this in Sefer of Bamidbar, that I sanctified the firstborns by saving them in Mitzrayim, but I transferred that to the Levium. And in the Sefer of Bamidbar, which is not far away, there's an explicit exchange where the Bechorim are swapped the Levium. So until that point, it was done by the Bechorim. Do we ever see? the Avoda actually performed before Cheta Egel by the Bechorim. Ah, you're all nodding your head, but you're wrong, because we do. I want to say in, that's good, Pesach, Kuban Pesach, but I might be wrong. You might be wrong. Um, if you've got a Chumash Shemot in front of you, have a look at Perak Kafdalad of Shemot, Pasuk Hey. Kafdalad. Hey, so I haven't got one here, so you'll have to read it to me. Okay, so Perak Haftalad, which is a fascinating Perak, according to Rashi, it took place before Matan Torah, and it's part of the agreement to accept the Torah, and includes Nasev and Ishma, and it includes Moshe reading the Sefer Habrit, whatever that is. If you want to find out more, come to... Um, that's uh, Blake Street on Shavuos night between Minif and Marif, and I will try and answer that question uh, with the help of three different authorities. A fascinating question, um, but it's the moment when when the Brit was was uh, was was forged, and that Brit is as it were celebrated by sacrifices, and who was sent to perform the sacrifices? The Na'arei B'nai Israel, the lads of B'nai Israel, the young men. But look at Rashi on that pasuk, Na'arei. Habachara. Also, Targum. Targum also says Bukhray. Okay, and that's the same source yeah. as Rashi. So, according to Rashi, there, so that was before Cheta Egel. Is this the first and last time? Yes. <laughs> uh, the Avoda was done by the Bukhara. Now, but hold on for a minute. Who else did the Avoda? Abraham offered sacrifices. Yitzchak offered sacrifices. Now, you might say that Abraham was a Bukhara because it's not 100% clear, but probably he was the oldest of the three brothers. What about Yitzchak? Well, it's a bit tricky, because there was Yishmael, but Yishmael wasn't, didn't have the status of a legitimate son, because he wasn't from a married mother. So you can argue that Yitzchak was the firstborn. So maybe when Avram does the Avodah, Yitzchak does the Avodah, the, the Bechorim do the Avodah, it's all the same thing. Or maybe you can say that when it comes to an individual doing a Korban, then anyone can do it. Now, at this point, I should pause and say, um, the Gemara says in quite a few places, but there's a sort of history of when private sacrifices were allowed and when they weren't allowed. When the, or after, once the temple was built, once the Bet Migdash was built, there's no more private sacrifices ever. The only place you sacrifice is in the Bet Migdash. And, and that was also the case when the Mishkan existed. But between the Mishkan, uh, before the Mishkan, and between the Mishkan and the Bet Migdash, that was the period in which the Bamot, the private altars, 
were permitted. You can make an altar in your back garden and you could bring a korban to Hashem. Some of the rules were the same and some of the rules were different. You didn't need a Kohen at a private altar and you didn't need a firstborn either. There's no suggestion that the Gemara says quite clearly, anyone could bring a korban. It doesn't have to be a Bechot. So maybe um, what's going on with this comment that the Avodah is for the Bechorim and matching up with the, the Pasuk in Mishpatim is when the Avodah is done on behalf of Klal Yisrael, a Korban Sibbur, in other words, a communal offering, before the Kohanim got the job, the Bechorim got the job. But when it comes to an individual private offering, then anyone can do it. But either way, there is some special status to a Bechor, which we can confirm from at least a period in history when the Bechorim had that special status. So maybe it wasn't, they're not the only people who can bring a, a korban, maybe they're the only ones who can bring a korban sibba. But either way, Yaakov wants Aesop to be disqualified. And this also explains something else. If we were talking about the kahuna, could it possibly be that Yaakov could say to a Kohen, sell me your kahuna? I don't think you're worthy of serving, of doing the avoda. I am, so sell the kahuna to me. I did hear a story of a rabbi, not, not from our denomination, who wanted to do um, uh, funerals for his kehillah, um, because it's an important part of the job of a rabbi. But the problem was he was a Kohen, so he couldn't go to cemeteries. So he resigned from the kahuna, so he could go to cemeteries. Is that possible? No, no. But I'd like to suggest that he was doing it in order to serve his kehillah better. Um, so there's no way that you can sell a your kahuna and somebody else... Is that in Bethlehem, though, in Yom Kippur, in the second Bethlehem, didn't they auction off the kahuna? Yeah, no, they didn't auction the kahuna, uh, they auctioned the, the kahuna gadola. Yeah. And, and they, with a lot of corruption, yeah. they, they, they bribed the Romans to be appointed kohen gadola. But you had to be a kohen. Uh, okay, we didn't, you couldn't bribe your way to be a kohen. Okay, cue the joke. I, the guy comes to the rabbi and says, I want to be a kohen, because my father was a kohen, my grandfather was a kohen. Anyway, okay, you've all heard that one, sorry. Okay. Um, I've lost my train of thought there because that was <laughs> such a good joke. Uh, okay, however, so it, there's no way that Yaakov could buy the right to be a Kohen. But maybe the Bechor performing the Avoda is a bit more flexible. Maybe the Bechor performing the Avoda, as I said, there's this duality that on the one hand, there's at least a place where the Bechorin did the Avoda, but we also see there's a place where every individual can do the Avoda, absent the Bet Mikdash. Um, so maybe we can reconcile the two by saying that it's not out of the question for a non-Bechor to do the Avodah, but there's just a certain uh, presumed right for the Bechor to do the Avodah. And why am I saying this? Because now we can possibly understand how that right could be something which could be transferred. There could be, if, if this, this right is, is a little bit informal, it's nothing like the formality of who's a Kohen and who's not a Kohen, maybe this explains how Yaakov could have the idea that he could buy this right to be treated as the Bahar in terms of performing the Avodah. Okay, but the main thing I'd like to come out of this is that Yaakov's concern is not for money and it's not for status, it's who is best served, is the best place to serve Hashem. Now, by the way, Yaakov knows what type of person Esau is, he's not a nice person, but what has he done just that day, that moment? which would inspire Yaakov to say, what's he just done? He's killed somebody. Rashi again in Pasuk Kaftet. He's been, he's Ayef from Ratzicha. Now, a Kohen, by the way, who's killed somebody, can't serve in the Avodah, 
can't uh, offer sacrifices. Interesting Shida about somebody who's in the army, who's a Cohen and who has served himself in defense and killed people. And Emir Tzashem, the Pepping Dash will be rebuilt very soon. Can such a Cohen serve? And the answer is probably yes, if it's in self-defense, et cetera. But basically there is a problem with somebody who is a killer serving the Bet Mikdash. So it fits nicely that on that very day, Yaakov sees something that confirms, Ein Russia And therefore he says, I want you to sell me your rights to serve in the Bet Mikdash. Okay, or to, to offer the Avodah. There was no like chiyuv to, to, to give a korban to Hashem. It was like, okay. it's like for Esau, like it's not like, so if, this, if it wasn't going to be Yaakov, he stood up. So this is, a, okay, this is a good question. So, so this is the question that I haven't really related to because I'm not sure of the answer. Uh, to one extent, was there a formal avoda going to happen? Now we know two things. We know that there was going to be a time when there was avoda performed on behalf of Al Yisrael. And as I keep coming back to that pasuk, and it was done by the Bukhara. Um Maybe you can say, and these are just speculation, that Yaakov hoped that time would come any minute, and so one of the two has got to be ready. Or we're talking about a continuation of the sacrifices offered by Abraham and by Yitzchak, and are going to be offered by Yaakov in his lifetime as well. And he's saying, those are the sacrifices that I want to make sure I offer and not you. So there were sacrifices going on. We've already seen that. So it could be that that's what he's referring to, or it could be he's uh, a little bit... Um, as Rashi often says, like the, the, what, what the Avot doing uh, what, uh, and, and the other characters uh, are doing is, is pre, um, well in advance of what, what's actually going to happen. But Yaakov wants to be ready or wants to maybe even put down a marker to say it shouldn't be someone like you when the time comes. I, that's the sort of thing that right, I can't think of examples right now. That's the sort of thing that Rashi does say from time to time that Abraham's acting because of what's going to happen. Uh, Avram goes to I to Davon there. Why is he Davon there? Because that's when Yeshua, uh, that's the place where Yeshua is going to suffer a, a defeat. So uh, what Avraham does is planning for well advanced. Um, it's the Ramban, by the way, who says, what the Avot do is actually um, a paradigm or an archetype for what the descendants are going to do. Rashi doesn't say that, but Rashi does say in a number of places, that what the Avot do, what Moshe Rabbeinu does, is in relation to things that are going to happen centuries later. So maybe that's what Yaakov's doing as well. Now, Lamed Bet, as I promised, I think Rashi's explanation of Lamed Bet informs his pshat in Lamed Aleph. Let's look at Lamed Bet again. So in Lamed Aleph, Yaakov says, sell me the Bechara. In Lamed Bet, Esau says, I'm going to die. Why do I need this Bahara? So how does one relate to the other? Why is that Yaakov, Why is that Esau's reaction? How is the offer or the request to sell the Bahara connected to Esau going to die? That's the question. Now, you could answer it very simply, and Rashi doesn't. It says, Esau says, look, I've had a really bad day. All I can care about is soup. And if I don't get soup right now, I'm going to die. And that's why, forget, I don't care what you're arguing about, what you're asking me for, just give me the soup. Um, Rashi avoids that interpretation. Um, and I think because people don't normally die from fatigue. Um, I, people want to criticize Yaakov, people who take a different interpretation to Chazal or they just don't like Jews. 
And they see in this Yaakov, the crafty Jew, taking advantage of Esau's near-death experience. I mean, how wicked is that? And I would suggest, so maybe this is a very pedestrian answer to a pedestrian question, that Rashi avoids that because people don't really get, they, they don't really die because they've had a tiring day in the field. Maybe he thinks that the person, like the family members of the person who killed, are going to get him back and kill him. Yeah, maybe. I'm just making yeah, that. maybe and that relates to the Ratika again. Yeah. But again, we don't see any of that. We don't know of any like attempt on Aesop's life subsequently. Anyway, let's see what Rashi says. Lamad bet. Now, again, we've got a extra bit in brackets, although in square brackets in my book, rather than round brackets, which implies it probably is there, although it's still problematic, at least to me, because uh, in brackets, we've got one explanation of the Aesop's uh, yeah, disregard for the Bechorah. And then after the brackets, we've got another one. And why would we need to? But in the brackets, it says like this. Mit nodedet v'holechet hi This birthright is wandering and going. In other words, it's not stable. It's not a good investment because kol the avoda will not be with the firstborns at all times. Ki shevet levi yitol ota, because shevet levi will take it. So that's one answer why Esau was bothered, but it doesn't explain why he's going to die. And I find it very, very unsatisfactory. So I'm happy to keep it in brackets and just go on to the next bit. Amar Esau. Esau said, Mativa shalavodazu. What is the nature of this avoda? So it sounds like Esau's um, priority in his spare time was not learning Chumash and was not understanding the Gemara. And therefore, he's got a genuine question. This avoda you're talking about, what's the deal? To which Amarlo, Yaakov said to him, Kama as harot anashim umitot ba. There are many restrictions, i.e. warnings and punishments and capital punishments depend on it. In other words, flow from it. If you take on this avoda, you're liable to all sorts of terrible punishments. Ka'oto like we've learned. So he's quoting the Gemara. It doesn't mean literally Yaakov was quoting the Gemara. Maybe he was, or maybe he's quoting the Halacha, which we now see explicitly in the Gemara. But it says in the Gemara, These are the offenses of Kohanim which lead to their death. Shduya Yayin, Uprue Rosh. People who have drunk wine and then go into the Bet Mikdash, that is punishable by Mita Bideshamayim, death from heaven. It's not uh, punishable by the Sanhedrin. And the other one mentioned here is Perue Rosh, um, long hair or unkempt hair. A Kohen is obliged to get their hair cut once every 30 days. If they don't get their hair cut for longer than 30 days, they look a mess, and that is disrespectful to the Avodah. And it is so disrespectful, it is also punishable by Mita Bideshamai. Serious stuff. Amar, Ya Esau replied, Ani al yada. I stress that because those are the words that Rashi has added, and now it makes sense. I'm going to die through it. If I take on this Avodah, then I'm going to end up dead. If so, why do I want it? So first thing to say is Rashi has done what he often does. He's filled in the other part of the conversation. The way Rashi explains that Lamad Aleph and Lamad Bet is it's part of a conversation, but there's more to the conversation and Rashi fills it in. 
And without that, that expert bit, it doesn't make sense. The conversation in the Torah goes like this. Sell me the birthright, I'm going to die. Whereas sell me the birthright, oh, tell me about the birthright. Ah, the birthright means you might be liable for the death penalty. Ah, I'm going to die. Suddenly it makes sense. So it makes very good sense if we are able to add in those lines of the conversation, which Rashi often does, and if we're talking about the avoda, because now there is a connection between the birthright and Aesop's fear of death. The death is going to come about because of having that, if Aesop is to have that birthright, he will probably muck it up and therefore he'll end up dead. It's interesting that in the Rashi, which is quoting the Midrash, Yaakov quotes two particular Averot. There's many other things he could have said. There's many other things that would disqualify a Kohen or maybe a Bechor in the pre-Kohanic days. If the Kohen is Tomei, he can't offer, he can't bring a sacrifice. If he's an Onane, because his relative has just died, he can't bring a sacrifice. If he is blemished, he can't bring a sacrifice. Interestingly, Yaakov doesn't mention any of those. He mentions the two things which the Kohen or Asov would have total control over. A Kohen can't necessarily control when he becomes Tameh. He might become Tameh because suddenly he's in the same room as somebody who dies. He might become Tameh because of some bodily function. He's got no control over that. Um, he's got control if he were to sin by going and doing the Avoga while blemished, while, while Tameh, but he can't control the situation of being Tameh. He can't control the situation of being a blemished person. Um, but it's very simple to avoid the problem of shtuyayayin. How do you avoid the problem of shtuyayayin? Don't drink wine. Very good advice. How do you avoid the problem of not having your hair cut? Have your hair cut. But look how Yaakov says to Aesop, you are such a Russia. You're such a rubbish person that even things that you would have total control of, you would fail. If he had said to Aesop, you know, if you're Tameh, you can't do the avodah, and who knows, you might become Tommy through beyond, totally beyond your control. Asa would say, yeah, you're right, don't become Tommy totally beyond my control. But Yaakov picks two examples, the Midrash puts into the mouth of Yaakov, two examples over which he would have total control. And Yaakov says, you're still going to fail on that. And who agrees? Asa agrees. Asa says, you're right. I couldn't control myself. There's no way I could avoid going into the baby dust drunk. There's no way I could make sure I have my hair cut once a month because I'm too busy in the field hunting and killing. So uh, that's why Aesop concludes I'm going to die. So what I think Rashi has done to sum up is reinforced through the filling in the conversation in Lamed Bet. It explains the Bahora is referring to the Avoda. Well, um, yes. I still don't understand. Maybe it's just me that I can read explained and I wasn't previously so much. But like this idea of how um, he needs to be Bahora to, to to do it because we say once in Shemot, which was much like that wasn't in the time span of when they were going to live at all. Okay, like so, there's no real connection, I guess, between when they can give. They can give a korban nedavah, yes, seemingly whenever. And so like, again, I, I think I tried to answer your question before. Obviously, I didn't do it very well. So I'll try again. Uh, no, 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 it's my fault. Um, I think you can answer this. It, it's a good question that that Yaakov seems to be referencing something that doesn't really exist, no, and certainly at that point. So I would say three possible answers. Um, number one, and none of them are totally satisfactory. Number one, the Avodah is already in the Bechor, by, done by the Bechorim. Abraham is a Bechor, Yitzchak is a Bechor. Answer, answer number one, which is a, I, mean, I think satisfies your question. Number two, um, Yaakov knows that at some stage in the future, um, 
the avoda is going to be done by the Bukharim. He doesn't know when. Maybe it's tomorrow. And number three, he does know it's going to be far in the future, but he still sort of theoretically wants to be connected to it. He's talking about a theoretical framework, which he puts himself and Aesop into, even though it's very, very anachronistic. And, and, and as I tried to say before, that happens in the Chumash quite a bit. Um, um, uh, an interesting example. Okay, um, you can see it in here. Um, when Avraham is in the war, and in the middle of the war, there's a break. Perigyodalad um, Pasuk Kaf. Maybe it's not quite a perfect analogy, but I think it's quite good. What happens in the middle of the war? Who comes to meet? Um, who comes to meet Avraham? Malkitzedek, Melach Shalem, the king of Shalem, which then became Yerushalayim. Um, so Malkitzedek brings bread and wine. That's in Pasuk Yudchet and in Pasuk Kaf. Uvaruch kel elyon Hashem again to Rechav Yodecha, and Hashem um, blesses Malkitzedek, who Rashi says is Hashem blesses Abraham, and he gave him maser from everything. And uh, I've often mentioned the problem that Rashi often deals with is the problem of pronouns. Well, here we've got it in spades. He gave him maser. Who's he? Who's him? So Rashi answers that by saying he gave him, Avram. Avram gave maser Nikola Shelo. This is Rashi on Kaf. He gave him maser from everything, because shame was a Kohen. Now, the reason I gave this comparison, it may not be the same thing, but it, it's a little bit the same. The laws of Masa, which we learned from this week's etc. by the way, um, weren't given for many, many years. So you can say that Abraham kept the Torah quite soon, probably not today. In fact, definitely not tonight. We're going to get to the passage that Abraham get, keeping the Torah. Um, that very soon we're going to get to the source of that whole idea, but the Avot kept the Torah before it was given. So maybe Abraham wants to give Masa. But Shem, how is Shem a Kohen? A Kohen is a descendant of Aaron. Shem is not a descendant of Aaron. He's an ancestor of Aaron by 14 generations, um, I think. Um, so, but, but nevertheless, Rashi says there's this framework going on that's sort of, sort of eternal. It's been there from the beginning, and it will be there till the end of Kohanim doing their thing. Or before Kohanim, it's Bechorim. So why wasn't Shem given it because of Bechor? I don't know. Um, so Yaakov is plugging into an existing framework, even if it doesn't have a practical application. And that, that is something we see in the Midrash and we see in Rashi quite often. Okay, let us read on. Pasuk Lamad Gimon. Now, there's no Rashi, but it is worth concentrating on Pasuk Lamad Gimon. Vayom Yaakov, Hishavali Kayom. Yaakov says, swear to me like the day, like today. Vayeshava lo. And he swore to him. Vayimkor et v'choroto Yaakov. And he sold his birthright to Yaakov. And then I will jump straight to Lamad Dalad. Vayakov natan le'esav lechem unazid adashim. And Yaakov gave to Esau bread and cooking of lentils. Now, Rashi doesn't comment, maybe because he doesn't think he needs to. Others do comment explicitly. Forno, I think, uh, is one who comments explicitly. That contrary to the common notion that Yaakov bought the birthright for a mess of pottage, which is the old translation of a bowl of soup, um, if you look carefully, 
He did not. If you look carefully, the sale took place and was completed in Pasuk Lamad Gimel. And now the sale has finished. Yaakov then responds to the request that was made in Pasuk Lamad and he gives him the soup. If you look carefully, there is no suggestion that the soup was the trade for the Bukhara. So in Lamad Gimel, he sold him the Bukhara. And then in Lamad Dalet, he gave him some soup. It was not trading one for the other. Now, you could possibly read it like that, but I, I think it's actually a much more forced reading than saying it were two separate events. Doesn't Svona say it? says it was separate. Uh, yeah. I, I can I, can I pass it? I'm sorry, you're right. Sforna says it was. <laughs> okay, I got that completely wrong. Thank you. Yeah, so Sforna says it was a swap. It was a swap for a Khalifin, for the Nazid, um, or for the Kali, which was the Nazid, um, for the Liknobakinian uh, Khalifin. Yeah, now actually, I'm going to stand back a bit. It, uh, okay, time is running out. I don't want to get complicated, especially something that Rashi doesn't say. Okay, um, I'm not so supposed to say that it was actually a trade. There's a Kinyan Khalipin, is the way of doing a Kinyan, and doing an acquisition, whereby I get something from you and I give you something worthless. Not that I'm exchanging, uh, okay, the, what do you classically use for a Kinyan Khalipin? A scarf or a handkerchief. When do you actually see this? actually happen? When does somebody make a Kenyan with a handkerchief? Two times you might be familiar with. Don't they usually do it like when they sign the couture? Exactly. Yeah, Excellent. When the husband accepts upon himself the obligations of the couture, he lifts up a handkerchief. And the other time that you might be aware of is when you empower somebody to sell chomets on your behalf. These days you do it online, but uh, it's probably better to do it where you make a Kenyan. The Kenyan doesn't actually acquire the chomets, but it gives the power to usually the rabbi to effect the sale on your behalf and when somebody lifts up the handkerchief they are acquiring the handkerchief and as they acquire the handkerchief either they accept obligations or somebody else accepts obligations or another item is traded so the original idea is when you want to buy a cow now i could give you the cow and you'd have to lift up the cow because um, uh, hagbar is a matter of acquisition um, sorry, there's a reason I'm spending, uh, telling all this, even in the context of the Rashi Shia, um, but it explains that spawner. Um, and it's relevant to, to the whole discussion of what was going on here with Yaakov and Esau. So one way of acquiring a cow is to lift the cow up. Now that's um, difficult because cows are very, very heavy. And also I'm selling the cow to Jacob here, but the cow may be like in my field miles away. So what happens was I will take a handkerchief and I will acquire the handkerchief as a swap for the cow. I acquire your handkerchief, and at the same time, you acquire my cow. That's called Kenyan Khalipin, literally a Kenyan acquisition by swapping. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that we've traded a handkerchief for a cow. Right? The cow you might have paid, I might have paid you, or who's buying it, I forget. But the cow, I might have paid $1,000, but the money doesn't actually afford the acquisition. That's another interesting halakha. You can't buy something with money. That's, that's a whole gemara. You can't use, buy something with money. Um, that's for another time. Um, but you can buy something with this swap. But the swapping is, I almost, I hesitate to use the word, but symbolic. So when you pick up, I pick up the handkerchief, you get the cow, we're not suggesting that we swap the handkerchief for a cow. The picking up the handkerchief is just to, as it were, effect the deal. 
says the Sephorno, that was the soup. The Nazid was the handkerchief. So they weren't, even he says they weren't swapping the, the birthright for the mess of pottage. The birthright was sold either for money, I think that is the Sephorno, or by the Shavua. Interestingly, in Lamad Gimel, Yaakov introduced this idea of swear. Swear to me. And I personally think, and, and others think, that the clearest way to read this is actually the swearing. I give you the birthright. I promise I give you the birthright. That affected the Kenyan. And uh, if we don't go to that Sephorno, Rashi, oh, sorry, not Rashi, the Pasuk in Lamadalad says separate to the sale, then there was the food. <laughs> so just to go on this form, I think, it, when they're over there's a transaction, doesn't that Dafka have to be two parties where things are given and traded? It's not just I give something for you for no reason like, um you, thing, you like, can i mean you can you can you give, there's a there's a matana you can give something as a gift which doesn't have to be a trade so certainly that's how we we, we see it it's a matana that, that asap is giving i i think it could, it could be it could be anyway um uh, the the laws of acquiring things are complex and involved and require a lot of uh, further learning possibly beyond me um so we won't do that now but somehow they the Sale has been affected in Lamad Gimel. And then in Lamad Dalad, Yaakov gave to Esau bread and cooking of lentils, and he ate, and he drank, and he got up, and he went, Rashi doesn't comment, he's not really Rashi's style, but the uh, one, two, three, four, five verbs, verb after verb after verb implies that Aesop was in a bit of a hurry and he didn't like eat in a polite fashion and sort of wait for his food to digest and make pleasant conversation with his dining companions. He just eats, drinks and goes. And Vayivez Aesop et HaBachora. Aesop despised the Bachora. Says Rashi, Ha'id HaKatuv al Risho, the Pasuk testifies on his wickedness that he uh, despised the serving of Hashem. Now, obviously, that fits in with the way Rashi's explained the Bechora. The Pasuk says that Esau despised the Bechora. Rashi says the Bechora is the Avoda. So Rashi says, to bring it all together, Esau despised, i.e. the Avoda. But why does Rashi have to say anything? I think the answer to that is, we can ask that, answer that question with a question. Why does the Pasuk have to say anything? What does it mean? Why does the Pasuk have to say, the other items is part of the narrative. It's important to a story that Yaakov, sorry, Esau ate and drank and got up and went. But then suddenly, is a value judgment, but the Torah is putting on Esau. So says Rashi, the Torah is pointing out, the Torah is going out of its way to point out Esau being a despiser of the Bechorah. Why does the Pasuk tell us that? In order to reinforce our understanding of Esau's wickedness. And that's how Rashi rephrases it. Ha'id hakatuv al-risho. The Pasuk is testifying about his wickedness. The Pasuk is saying, the Pasuk before Rashi is saying, look, Esau despises the Bechorah. Rashi is telling us that the Pasuk is adding that information to add to the very wicked picture of Esau that he despised, now we know what the Bechorah is, he despised serving Hashem. You can't get much worse than that. Okay, we will stop there. And next week, Amir Hashem, we will start the new Peruk.
which so not next week or the week after in three weeks time if it's Hashem, we will start the new parrot. Despite serving Hashem also fits really nicely with the previous Rashi of him not wanting to do the Avada. Absolutely. Well, the Rashi's saying they're, they're fitting yeah. together. They're two parts of exactly the same story. Yeah. And also that it comes from Edom, that like the characteristic of his whole nation is like... Ah, sort of like Edom is sort of anti-Avada. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. We will stop there.